So remind me what comes next. <laughs> Ruth. Last week we began looking at the book of Ruth. And we saw together that the main message of chapter 1 is that God is king. Not only is that one of the names of one of the characters in chapter 1, it's also the main theme of that chapter. In chapter 1, you may remember, Naomi suffered some bitter, bitter blows. While she and her family were living in Moab, her husband died, and then her two sons died. And Naomi realized that ultimately... God was king, even over those painful losses. Ultimately, she realized his hand stood behind all of it. But that wasn't the only thing we saw in chapter 1. We saw that the God who is king is also faithful and good. He doesn't forget his people. And he shows faithful love to his people. And we saw his faithfulness in the news that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. That's his people back in Bethlehem. The famine that had driven Naomi and her family away from Israel, away from Bethlehem, was over. And we also saw God showing faithful love to Naomi through Ruth, through her Moabite daughter-in-law. Ruth had nothing to gain by sticking with Naomi, but we're told that she clung to her. And chapter 1 ended with these two ladies returning to Bethlehem from Moab. Naomi was bitter, and she let the whole town know that she was bitter. But chapter 1 ended on a positive note, finally. We were told the two women arrived in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And that comment not only ends chapter 1, it sets the scene for chapter 2. In chapter 2, the harvest begins. If you haven't already turned to the book of Ruth, you'll find chapter 2 on page 267 in the church Bible. <clears throat> and I'll read the whole chapter. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabites said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabites who came back from Moab with Naomi. 
She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and have come to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At the mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsman redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabites said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is God's word. And the opening verses of this chapter present us with a man of standing, a courageous outsider, and the hand of God. Verse 1 introduces us to Boaz. And apart from his name, we're told two things about this man. He's a relative of Naomi's dead husband, Elimelech, and he is a man of standing. What does that mean? Well, it's ambiguous. It could mean a couple of different things. 
It could mean that Boaz is a wealthy, influential man. He's a powerful man. But it could also mean that Boaz is a man of good character, a noble and courageous man, a hero. Verse 1 by itself doesn't tell us in what way Boaz is a man of standing. We'll only find that out as we watch him in action. And in fact, we'll find that both senses of the word apply to Boaz. He's wealthy and powerful, and he's noble and courageous. He's not the kind of man you find very often. Men like Boaz don't grow on trees. Then verse 2 presents us with another unusual character, Ruth. Now we've met her before, but here she comes much more to the fore. In chapter 1, Naomi was the main character, but from now on she takes more of a back seat. In chapter 1, we saw Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi. And now we see Ruth's courage in verse 2. And Ruth the Moabites said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. The writer of the book makes sure that we remember Ruth is a Moabites. Last week we saw that the Moabites and the Israelites were enemies. So as a Moabite in Israel... Ruth is very much an outsider. And she has every reason to expect tough times, prejudice, maybe even violence against her. But the sense we get here is that Ruth has barely arrived in Bethlehem before she's asking to go out to work in the fields. She's courageous. And verse 2 also tells us what a desperate state Ruth and Naomi are in. In America, you can earn money by recycling aluminium cans. I'm not sure exactly what the going rate is, maybe one cent for every can that you hand in. Certainly not much more than that. But there are people who try to eke out an existence by collecting cans for cash. And it goes without saying, you'd have to collect an awful lot of cans to be able to buy a hamburger. Never mind trying to buy clothes or rent a flat for yourself. What Ruth is proposing to do in verse 2 is the ancient equivalent of collecting aluminium cans. The very best you can hope for is survival, just existence from one day to the next. The process of harvesting went like this. The man who was harvesting walked through the field, grabbing handfuls of stalks in one hand and then cutting them with the scythe in his other hand. And when the bundle of stalks that he was carrying got too big, the harvester would set it down behind him. One of the ladies following along behind him tied up the bundle into a sheaf. What Ruth is proposing to do is to follow the sheaf tire and pick up any stray stalks that were cut but didn't get tied up in the sheaf. It's just picking up the scraps. And it was called gleaning. Now, if we bear in mind that Israel is just coming out of a famine here, 
and that harvesters were people who worked carefully and methodically, it's obvious there aren't going to be many stalks for Ruth to pick up. And on top of that, it's not even certain Ruth will find a field where she's allowed to glean. God had granted the right to glean when he gave Israel the Old Testament law. But remember, we saw last week, this is the time of the judges. It's not a time when God's law is a big thing in Israel. This is a time when most people are doing what's right in their own eyes. It's a time of rebellion against God. It's not a time when his law is in high regard. So it's not even a given that any landowner is going to let Ruth into his field. Never mind whether she finds any stalks to glean when she gets there. In a time when everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes, Ruth is hoping to find favor in someone's eyes. And that is a very long shot. So yes, Ruth and Naomi are back in Bethlehem. And yes, there is grain in Bethlehem. But the prospects of Naomi and Ruth getting any of it are slim. But Ruth is courageous. She's not going to just sit beside Naomi and die. So she takes the initiative. And Naomi tells her to go ahead. And at this point, the writer of the book has a little joke with us, a little nudge and a wink. The second half of verse 3 says this, as it turned out, literally, and it happened by chance, she found herself working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. The writer says to us, through a remarkable stroke of luck, Ruth ended up in one of Boaz's fields. You know Boaz, the relative of God is king. That's what Elimelech means. We were introduced to Boaz in verse 1. But the end of this chapter will let us know that at this point, Ruth herself has never heard of him. Historians tell us that the farmland in Israel was just a jumbled patchwork of subdivided property. So not only did Ruth not know who Boaz was, she had no way of knowing who owned which fields. But she ended up in exactly, exactly the right place. The prospects for Naomi and Ruth were bleak. But the hand of the Lord that took away Elimelech and Machlon and Kilion, the hand of the Lord that brought these two women back to Bethlehem by ending the famine, that same hand of the Lord is still at work, guiding Ruth to the right field. Out of the whole jumbled patchwork of fields, Chance is the very last thing that's going on here. And if we ask what we can learn from this, it's worth noticing that these verses show us both God's sovereignty and Ruth's initiative. It's easy for us to make one of two mistakes in our thinking. Sometimes you and I get so focused on our own responsibility that we forget God's in control. 
We live as if it's up to us to be wise enough and strong enough to bring good out of our lives. But that's a recipe eventually for some sort of breakdown. Every day of our lives, there are a million little details that we can't control. We can drive safely, but we can't make sure everyone else drives safely. And that's not just true on the roads, it's true in every area of our life. Even if you and I, personally, do and say everything right, we have no control over all the other stuff that gets done and said. Sometimes we need to just take a deep breath and remind ourselves that God is God and we are not. He's the sovereign one, not us. He's the one who sees the end as well as the beginning. He's the one who's weaving all things into a perfect tapestry. Think of Ruth again. She couldn't have known which field was the right one to choose. She was ready and eager to go and work hard, but picking the wrong field could have ended in disaster. There are hints for us later in the chapter that the wrong field could have meant serious harm for her. But God is king. Ruth ended up in the right field, even though she didn't even know there was a right field. But if some of us tend to forget God's sovereignty, others of us tend to forget our own responsibility. Some of us have a tendency to be fatalistic at times. If God is sovereign, we think, it doesn't really matter what I do. If God wants me to get up in the morning, he'll send an earthquake to get me up. Or he'll give me one of those Wallace and Gromit beds that tips me out and dresses me and hands me toast. If God wants me to work, he'll send Alan Sugar along to knock on my door. If God wants me to serve him, he'll write my assignment up in the sky for me. I know we're not quite that bad, but sometimes we come pretty close to that. But that kind of fatalistic attitude is just as bad as the attitude that imagines we're in control of everything. Both of those attitudes are missing half of the picture. The Bible gives us the whole picture. It tells us that, yes, God is in control. He's the sovereign one. And it also tells us he expects us to use the bodies and minds and energy and time that he has sovereignly given to us. We are to be faithful. We are to do the best we can with the resources God has given us. It's up to God how he weaves our efforts into his tapestry. Again, think of Ruth. She's heard from Naomi that the Lord is in control. But Ruth hasn't come with Naomi to lie down and die. She's come to work. As far as Ruth is concerned, no job is beneath her, in fact. She doesn't wait for the sovereign Lord to send Alan Sugar round with a management position. She knows that God has made provision for gleaning. And yes, it's a rough, rough job. But God has provided it And Ruth takes it. 
The lesson here is that you and I are called to give ourselves a shake, do what we can, and then leave the tapestry weaving to God. He'll take care of the outcome of what we do. The scene has been set for us in chapter 2. God has joined the dots to put Ruth into the path of Boaz. And now in verses 14 to 16, we see God's welcome for the outsider who seeks refuge in him. Look again at verse 4. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. Whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. The first words we hear from Boaz in verse 4 are, The Lord be with you. The standard greeting of the time was shalom, peace. So the greeting that Boaz uses is not just what everyone said. It tells us that he's a devout man. He's not one of the many who do what is right in their own eyes. And for some reason, he immediately notices Ruth. Now, I realize the romantics among us might think that he's smitten by Ruth's stunning good looks. But it may have been that she just stood out as a foreigner. Or Boaz may have known all of his own workers and wondered who the stranger was. In any case, in verse 5, he says to his foreman, whose young woman is that? Which probably means, what family is she from? And when Boaz gets the answer, he does two things. He protects Ruth and he provides for her. In verse 8, he calls her my daughter. It's the same term that Naomi uses for Ruth. Coming from Boaz, it's equivalent to saying young lady. And it suggests to us that Boaz is a good bit older than Ruth. And he's taking a protective interest in her. In verse 9, he says, I've told the man not to touch you. That doesn't necessarily mean that Boaz has a bunch of thugs working for him. But they may have had to police the harvest fields as a habit. Remember, this is a time when most of Israel does what is right in their own eyes. Ruth, we've seen, has been very careful to follow the rules for gleaning. But Boaz's workers were probably used to people trying to steal from the sheaves. And here he orders them to leave Ruth alone. He gives her protection. And he provides for her. He says, whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. In other words, use the water that I provide for my paid workers. Considering what could have happened to Ruth, 
This is way more than she expected. And so she asks the obvious question in verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. There's an important background to this conversation. Back at the beginning of Israel's history, before the Israelites ever had a land of their own, the leaders of Moab tried to curse the Israelites. And they hired a rogue prophet called Balaam to do the cursing for them. Balaam is famous for having a donkey who was more intelligent than he was. So not the best man to hire. In any case, the Moabites were a serious thorn in the side of God's people. And God excluded the Moabites from being part of his people. He laid it down as a law in the book of Deuteronomy. And yet here, God shows that when a man or woman comes to him for refuge, whoever they are, he is a gracious and a welcoming God. Yes, the Moabites were cursed for their sin. They were far from God. But this Moabite has come seeking refuge in God. In chapter 1, she left her people and her gods. She announced that Naomi's people would be her people, and Naomi's God would be her God. As Boaz puts it in verse 12, Ruth has come to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. She's like a young chick looking for security at her mother's side. Ruth has come looking for security in the Lord. And through his servant Boaz, God is providing that security. And God does the same thing for every outsider who comes to him for refuge. In New Testament times, the insiders were the Jews. They had God's law and God's covenants. The outsiders were the Gentiles. In Ephesians, Paul says the Gentiles were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise. That was the reality that every Gentile was born into. But when a Gentile comes to Jesus Christ, they find refuge. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Consequently, he says to the Gentile believers, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. When it comes to acceptance with God, every single one of us are born outsiders. 
We don't belong in God's family. That's true of all of us. From the most religious and clean living to the most atheistic and promiscuous and everyone in between. We're all born far from God. Unworthy of a place in God's family. Unworthy of his protection and provision. And we confirm our unworthiness by our rebellious lives. Some of us rebel very openly. It's obvious. Some of us rebel quietly through self-righteousness. Through the idea that we're actually quite able to live a life that's pleasing to God. Whatever form it takes, it's all rebellion. And it cuts us off from God. But when we come acknowledging our unworthiness and trusting in Christ alone, there is a welcome for us. There's a place at the table. Even for outsiders like us. That's what we see happening to Ruth. She's been amazed by Boaz's kindness. But there's even more to come. Look at verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. Remember, Ruth is a gleaner here, not a harvester. But Boaz gives her a seat at the harvester's table. And not only that, Boaz himself serves her at the table. She shares in the harvester's food. She's given more than she can eat. And then she's given just about more than she can even carry home at the end of the day. There's no law calling for what Boaz does here. He instructs the man to drop stalks on purpose. And the result of it is a bumper haul for Ruth. At the end of the day, she threshes the barley. In other words, she beats it with a stick to separate the husks from the kernels of grain. And when the kernels are weighed, she has about an ephah. The NIV has a footnote telling us that's about 22 liters. It would have weighed, we're told, between 30 and 50 pounds. And commentators tell us that was equivalent to half a month's wages for a worker. It's Ruth's first day on the job, and she has had phenomenal success. She has found phenomenal favor. Look at verse 18. She carried it back to town. And her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. 
The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He's one of our kinsman redeemers. Verse 20 is a bit ambiguous. Is it Boaz or is it the Lord who has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead? Grammatically, it could be either. But I think the context makes it more likely Naomi means the Lord. Boaz has, not only, has only just come on the scene. The Lord has been there all along. And the word translated kindness here is the word we learned last week, chesed. It's better translated as faithful love or covenant love. Naomi, you remember, was bitter and angry at the end of chapter 1. But she's softening. Her name means pleasant or pleasant one. And Naomi's bitterness is beginning to melt into pleasantness. And now she's beginning to think of Ruth and herself as a family. Notice that she says, this man is our close relative. But what does she mean by calling Boaz one of our kinsman redeemers? A redeemer had certain responsibilities towards the other members of his clan. Israel was divided into 12 tribes, and within the tribes, clans, and within the clans, families. That was the structure. Now, we already know that Boaz is from Elimelech's clan. So what responsibilities did redeemers have? Well, if someone in the clan got into financial trouble and had to sell their land, the redeemer was to buy it back. Each clan had been allotted certain land in Israel, and the redeemer was to make sure that his clan didn't lose its land. And if clan members got into such dire financial trouble that they sold themselves into slavery, it was again the redeemer's responsibility to buy them back. In the last two chapters of the book, we'll find out more about the Redeemer's role. But for now, all we need to realize is what's going on in Naomi's heart and head. She's probably dancing a jig at this point. Just a few days ago, she had no hope. She described herself as empty. But now, not only does she and Ruth have food on the table and food in the cupboard. They have a man who might do much, much more for them. Through Boaz, God has blessed them in the present. He might use Boaz to give them a future as well. God is beginning to fill Naomi in ways she could never have imagined, even just a few days before. The harvest period lasted for six to seven weeks. Back in chapter 1, we were told that Ruth clung to Naomi. In the final verses of chapter 2, Naomi makes sure Ruth is going to cling to Boaz right up to the end of the harvest. She'll keep working in his fields. By the end of chapter 2, faithful love has brought blessing. 
And the harvest is not finished. There's more to come in this book. And there's more to come for those of us who belong to Jesus. This meal on the table in front of us reminds us that in Christ, we're welcome at God's table. Those of us who once were far away have been brought near to God. And we have an even greater future ahead of us. Before we celebrate what God has done for us by breaking the bread and drinking the wine, let's celebrate in song as we sing, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood?